Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you have chosen to either view this on YouTube or listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon. As always, we invite your input. You can reach me at fredjeffsmith at gmail.com, fredjeffsmith at gmail.com, and you can let me know how we're doing with our Thrive Podcast. I am very happy today to welcome as my guest, uh, Lynn Leger, who is running for district court judge here in East Baton Rouge Parish, uh, the 19th Judicial District. Did Correct. I get that right? Yes, yes. ma'am. And we are delighted to have you come and share with us today. Welcome to the Thrive Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me, you're a native of Monroe. I am. How did you get down here to Baton Rouge? So I'm glad you asked. I um, decided to go to law school. Uh, I graduated from Grambling State University in accounting. And then once I finished that, then I uh, came here to um, Southern. In our, let's see, I moved to Baton Rouge October 94, and then I started Southern's Law School in August of 95. Okay. And once you graduated from law school, you just decided to stay here? Correct. Okay. Uh, and before you came to law school, you were in the military. You're in the United States military. You I were was. in the Air Force. I was. Tell me about that experience. So I was in high school, and the um, military recruiters came to our school. I went to Neville High School. And so they were like, hey, if you all come take a test, just take a test, and you, there's no fail, no pass. It doesn't matter. Just take the test. See how you do. And, uh, and then once you take the test, you could leave. And I was like, hey, I'll do that. <laughs> and so took the test, went home. A few weeks later, maybe about a month later, I had recruiters just started calling me. And when the recruiters were calling, I was like, I don't know what's going on. But finally, my mom and I did meet with them. They told me about the education uh, uh, thing, that the process that you had. And uh, I said, okay. Uh, the opportunities. And so I knew that my mom, who was a single parent, um, couldn't really afford to pay for college for mm -hmm. us. And so I'm the oldest of three children. I had two younger brothers. And so I started actually looking into it. And so I looked into the Air Force, which I enjoyed. I was in the Air Force about six and a half years. And I actually did what I said I was going to do. While I was in the Air Force, I went to school. That's how, when I got out, was because I was in the Air Force six and a half years. Yes, ma'am. And so when I got out, that's how um, I went to Grambling, and I was only there for two years. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, in... Um, in discussing things that it's important to state that you know we have to be um, mindful of the things that we're doing no matter what because while I was in the Air Force they just happened to give us a whole bunch of credit cards and when they gave us the credit cards you know I was like charge and you know mm -hmm. I didn't have any uh, idea about being financially responsible you know I was 18 just my first time ever having that type of access, right? So what I did was um, didn't pay the credit cards, didn't think anything about it. 
I went to school, did what I wanted to do. I said I was going to be a CPA. Got a really great job offer at State Farm. I was about to work there. And those people said, baby, you can't. I had good grades. <laughs> I had a great job. Yes, ma'am. And so those people said, baby, you can't work here. And I was like, what's wrong? What happened? You have bad credit. And, you know. So the, bad credit kept you from getting a job. Bad credit kept me from getting a job. A and job, the job that, that you I wanted. wanted. The job Did you that hear I, that? <laughs> bad credit can keep you from being employed. Employed. And so, you know, at this point, I have one credit card. Yes, ma'am. And from that point on. And, uh, but I would just tell anybody, you know, we have to be uh, mindful of the things that we do and our finances, manage mm -hmm. them well, even from the 18, right? And so I was, while in school, I had a pastor. I didn't even know it at the time, but it was Professor Cunningham. He was like, Lynn, I think that you should go to law school. No. Came back the second time. I think you should go to law school. No, I'm going to be a CPA. And then the third time he said the same thing. But little did I know that was God nudging me the entire time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always, and we hear the old cliche that um, we have a plan. God laughs at that plan. But his purpose is always going to be served. Yes, ma'am. And so that's how I got to law school. Because once I didn't get that job, which wasn't his plan or his purpose for me. And so once I got... Um, once I didn't get that job, and I was like, okay. And so I talked to Professor Cunningham a little bit more, and then that's how I got to law school. So you finished in accounting. Yes. Went to law school. Yes. How did your accounting background influence your choices in law? So I went to law school um, with the accounting degree to, do, to become a tax attorney. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so while you're in law school, you clerk. So my second and third year of law school, uh, 2L, 3L, I clerked for the Department of Revenue and Taxation. That's what it was called at that time. Okay. And so I, I, I clerked from them, and it was kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so, but you, you know, the, the, the attorneys never went to court. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being in a courtroom, that's exciting. It's always moving. You have to think fast and move fast, right? And so um, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to do that. So when I passed the bar in 99, I had the opportunity to go work with uh, Ron Johnson. At that time, he was still a practicing attorney. Okay. And so I worked in the office with Ron. And uh, I, let's say if I passed the bar on Friday, I'd probably been with Ron maybe about a month prior to this. I would go to court with him, follow him around, you know, mm -hmm. do a whole files. The next, that following Monday, after I passed the bar, Ron handed me some files and said, go to court. And I was mm -hmm. like, ah! But, you know, it wound up being wonderful because, you know, you, you get to learn and have the opportunity for, of a great mentor. Mm -hmm. And so he helped me from falling into a couple of potholes. And I also got to see, got the opportunity to see you know, the criminal side of things, the civil side of things mm -hmm. that actually where people actually have to go to court. And so from that point on, I did some private practice. I still do. Um, but primarily I did the public defender's office from 2001 till today to 2000, you know, 2023. And it gives you the opportunity to be in court every day. You're learning things, learning how, you know, things work inside the courtroom. And, you know, that's how I got there. 
You're here to talk about your candidacy for a judgeship, but you mentioned the Public Defender's Office. Can yes. I ask you about the Public Defender's Office? Whatever you like. There has been some concern yes. about the Public Defender's Office in the last couple of years, and uh, now uh, there seems to be a transition in what's going on. Can you share with us your insights as to the status of the public defender? I'm, I'm not asking you to tell anything about anybody, but mm -hmm. what's the status of the public defender's office, in your opinion, uh, uh, at this point? Well, now I believe that the office is really in a good place. Um, before, we had good managers that had their hands tied. Mm -hmm. And specifically, I'll say that I believe that Lisa Parker's hands were tied on some you know, on some uh, matters, okay. that important matters. Um, now that she's gone, uh, her contract had ended and they didn't renew it. Now we have uh, Tommy Gibson mm -hmm. there as the good friend uh, of mine. Re really nice man, really yes. good man, uh, and a hard, very very hard worker. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I appreciate, although the board did not do it. As soon as Tommy came in, and I told him myself uh, that I really appreciated it, that as soon as he got in, he went around and he talked to all the employees, be employee, uh, secretary, attorney, investigator, contract mm -hmm. worker. He's talked, he spoke with everyone to put everybody's mind at ease, right? Because we just had an uproar and now, or an oust. And now, you know, everything is just up in the air. Everybody's in limbo. And that's not a, some uncertainty is good, but a lot of uncertainty is bad, you mm -hmm. know, especially bad for business. Mm -hmm. And so what he did was he came in, he spoke to everyone, kind of put everybody at ease about their job, about their placement. Um, then he went over and spoke with the judges and he's just and and he also talked with the DA. And so he's just helping all the relationships to, you know, to mesh well together again. And, uh, and we're just moving forward and we have more people, you know, that are coming back because he is uh, aggressively going out to, uh, to get more people back. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe that we're in a, they're in a good place and that uh, it's going to be easy for everyone to move forward. Do you enjoy litigation? I love it. Uh, you, you mentioned that at first you were dealing with taxation and, mm -hmm. and it was a little boring. Yeah. Do, do you enjoy going to court? I love going you to court. You enjoy the argument? I love the argument. <laughs> <laughs> My sister's a lawyer, so yes. so we talk from time to time. I, I've told you before, she doesn't think I know anything, but uh, I, I hope that I know a little something. Uh, good lawyers, I understand, can argue both sides yes. of uh, of an issue uh, with equal dexterity. Correct. Do you do you think that that's the case? I do. Okay. What made you decide? Because you're running for judge. What made you decide that instead of being the one who makes the argument, you wanted to be the one who heard the argument and uh, helped to guide the decision? I know juries make decisions, but you wanted to be the one to help guide the process in, in, in decisions that are being made. So you can have a jury or you could have a judge trial. Right. Uh, many times the judges guide, the, the judges make decisions on hearings right which help the decisions for the jurors and i believe that you know as a judge you have to be effective and you have to be understanding mm -hmm. and with that being said i know for a fact and you know i tell people all the time i'm probably one of the most objective people that you'll ever meet because i do understand both sides 
and that there are feelings on both sides, but you need a judge who can get past that and not have a shock of what's actually happening, of a charge. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'll just tell you this, and I'll try to make it quick. Um, Take your time. When I first started working with Ron, we had a guy who came in with an armed robbery. Now, I had never been in this arena before, and so, like I said, I just started working. Mm-hmm. When he came in and said that he had an armed robbery, I was like, oh, my God, right? And you're out. Right, <laughs> right. You know? But after about a year or so of doing this, you become not necessarily desensitized, but you have an understanding that everybody plays a role. And then as a judge, you, too, play a very important role because at the end of the day, I'm going to be the one doing the sentencing. Mm-hmm. And But I won't be shocked by these different offenses because it's a criminal bench or it's going to be some, some of it, it will be civil. And you just have to know things happen. And as a judge, when you, when you sit there with that type of temperament and understanding, then it helps you to be more effective and efficient mm-hmm. to get, the, to get um, you know, things moving. And I think that that's what, you know, that's what we need. I think that, you know, especially in this day and time, we have a lot of fear, and fear runs things. Mm-hmm. And so and with that being said, you know, especially with the crime and the shooting and all of that going on, people want to feel comfortable in knowing that the courts see it, we hear it, and that we are um, taking care of it, you know, um, the way that's, that's necessary. What do you think— about the bail system as it is currently being used. There are a lot of people who are in parish prison, and and by the way, it's really not a prison. Uh, prison means that you've been convicted, but that's what we all call it. We call it parish prison. They're, they're in jail. Uh, they're being detained. Uh, and it could be literally years before they have the opportunity to come before a judge in a trial setting, uh, simply because they can't afford to make bail. And just the process of not being able to make bail, just the process of being charged and being detained, ruins their lives. They can't work a job. They can't be with their families. What do you see as being a remedy to what I perceive to be a problem with the bail system as it currently exists? Or am I wrong? I mean, please set me, if I'm wrong, set me straight. Well. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Trust me, I'm told that quite a lot. So, (laughs) well, I won't necessarily say that you're wrong. What I will say is, is that, again, we have to look at the big picture of things. Mm -hmm. And the big picture of things, in looking at it that way, is everyone has a right to a bond, except mm-hmm. for first-degree murders. Mm-hmm. Now, first-degree murder people, they, they don't have a bond. That's without bond. Um, so you, you're entitled to a bond. Mm-hmm. And then there is a way that there, there are conditions and elements and things for you to look at in reference to how much this bond is and what the purpose of a bond. And then I argue all the time for defendants um, that the purpose of a bond is to make sure that a person comes back to court comes to his court dates as required um, by law once he's been uh, charged, formally charged, right, be it through bill of information or indictment, you can still get a bond. Mm -hmm. However, the problem is with so many people still being in jail is that they don't have the money to make the bond. Yes. For the most part, 
bonds are reasonable. Now, uh, a lot of times families can pool together and try to make the bond, but the bond goes with the charge. And what I'll say is like uh, Judge Trudy White, when she came in Mm -hmm. and started sitting on a district court bench from city court, Judge Trudy White uh, realized that for every single charge, you need to make up, there's a bond amount for every single charge that you're charged with. Mm -hmm. So before, if you had four offenses, then you would just get, you know, a $100,000 bond. When in actuality, it should have been like 25, 25, 25, right? And so as... The pro- as the process moves along, because you're correct, a lot of times people think just because you're arrested that you're guilty. Right. That's not true. But it is one. Of, <clears throat> it is one of those things. Excuse me. It is one of those things of you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. I've seen that on the news now. They have that little caption: "Innocent until proven guilty." Mm-hmm. However, it's a, the, the uh, nature of the beast that you're guilty until proven innocent. Mm-hmm. Even in looking at your bond settings. Um, so you do have the opportunity sometimes to hire attorneys so they can go in and get your bond reduced. But uh, that's still a big argument on both sides. Sometimes people are upset because the bonds are too small. Then you uh, have a lot of people who are upset because the bonds are too high. Um, there have been instances that I'm aware of where a bond was set and perhaps reset. I don't remember the details. But the person was out on bond and committed another crime, perhaps even a more heinous crime than the first one, and the community turns on the judge who set the bond, saying that the bond was set too low, there's no reason for this person to be out on the street. But is that not a part of the legal process, that that there is a bond uh, that exists? And if the person is able to make the bond, don't they have the right uh, to be back out on, the, of course, they don't have a right to commit crime, but they have the right to be back out on the street. And there should be no uh, recrimination against the judge because a person availed themselves to the process that was in place. Am I correct in, in that assessment? Okay, so <clears throat> this is what I'll say to that. You are correct that a person is entitled to a bond, just as we've been discussing. Mm-hmm. The only problem is. You can get a bond set, but you can still have a hold. And what is a hold? Help, help me understand. The hold means that you have a bond set, but you can't get out. How does that work? So, let's say, for instance, like you said, you already are out on bond. Mm-hmm. More than likely, you're out on bond for a felony. Uh, felonies carry at, at a minimum more than six months to a year in jail, okay. right? So no telling what you're in jail for, right? Let's just say you're in jail for unauthorized use of a motor vehicle. Okay. That charge alone uh, carries zero to 10 years, right? Sometimes zero to five, zero to 10, right? You get so when out. my son took my car without permission, Correct. I could have put him in jail for you, 10 years. You could have put him in jail. Uh, I wish I had known that. <laughs> I'm just teasing, but, but but go ahead. So, and that's a lot of times how it happens. And so, um, so, so you're out on bond. Mm-hmm. Well, being out on bond, you have bond conditions, and that's where the sticky part comes in. So I let you out, and then I say, it as a, as a uh, condition of your bond, most of the time it's like stay away from the victim if there's a victim. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 
you have to go take some classes but the and stay drug free but the okay. main thing is it says stay arrest free arrest and conviction free okay. that's a part of your bond when i do a bond that's an order that you are now under the court with so when you went to go get arrested again then guess what you just violated that order okay that's why either a once i look at the apc which is the affidavit of probable cause why the police officers uh arrested you mm -hmm. once i look at that and then i see um maybe it's not so bad but if it's a heinous crime when i came up like i said with ron in uh 99 2000 if you got rearrested while you were out on bond especially for a felony another felony mm -hmm. you didn't get out um and so until your charge or both charges were resolved now there are times of course every it's a, it's mo everything in in law uh just as any other profession is a case-by-case -case basis mm -hmm. There are some instances, like I say, I could look at the APC, and it might not really be that bad. Or you may have a victim who came in and said, I don't want to go forward with this. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are so many different things and so many reasons why you either A, you're going to stay in jail with that hold on you, or B, you might have another opportunity. So when that happens to a person, uh, and I understand what you just said about committing a crime while out on bond. Uh, but when that happens, when, when, let's assume for the sake of my question okay. that a person has been accused of robbery, simple theft, mm -hmm. and they have a $100,000 bond. Might be too excessive. Somebody might be watching and saying it would never be that high. I don't know. I'm just using numbers. Right. As I understand it, you're required to pay 10% of that you're responsible 12%. Uh, you're responsible for the whole amount, but you only have to pay 12% 12%. of it. So 12% of $100,000 is $12,000. Correct. If a person is poor and does not have access to $12,000, then the person has to stay in jail until uh, his trial Correct. comes up. And the way the dockets run these days, that trial could be a year, 18 months, perhaps even two years down the line before it ever comes to trial. In the meantime, he's in jail. Right. He's away from his family. He can't work. Uh, he, he loses any kind of fellowship with the community. And if he's found not guilty and he's let back out into the world two years later, he's stepping out into a world where his life has been totally ruined. Now, I know I'm the one setting the hypothetical, so I'm making it as as grievous as it could possibly be. But these kinds of things do happen, where people are kept in jail for inordinate periods of time, even though they have not yet been found guilty of any crime. And when they're let loose, the court essentially says, sorry. Law enforcement essentially says, "Sorry, and 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 you know, you really did look like the person who we thought did that, but uh, we're sorry. But that person's life is ruined as a result of that. I'm just wondering, is there something that can be done to mitigate uh, that kind of potential tragedy in 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 the bond system? Yes, it's called an attorney, and that's when." It's good for you to have 
um, the right attorney on your side, someone who's going to listen to you, understand your issues, do some investigation, because that's where that's that's where the uh, devil is in the details. The investigation, the investigation is going to prove if the person and like when I'm practicing. I want to help you prove your case mm-hmm. because if you if I help you prove your case, I already know your weaknesses and I already know whether my my client was there or not. And so the more I know and uh, to be able to help my client, the better. And if I have a client who I truly believe is innocent, then hell or high water, we're going to get it done. Mm-hmm. And so along the way, now all this time while let's say we'll go with your scenario of the two years. First of all, we're going to go with if someone was robbed, that's a crime of violence. So now if you just steal something, that's different. But to rob someone, mm-hmm. <clears throat> be it with a um, with your hand or you're just grabbing them, taking their items from them, taking their phone, taking their money, that's a robbery. Anytime you snatch something from someone mm-hmm. in their control. But now if you do it with a weapon, then it's, it's, it's an armed robbery, mm-hmm. 10 to 99 or 15 to 99, right? So there's a, that's very, very serious. Now, let's just say— That's years. You were, when you said 10 to 99, 10, that's 10 years to 99 To 99 years, or 15 years. to 99 years. Or 15 to 99 years. Okay, I, I just wanted to be clear on that. So, so that's where we are with that. Now, in the meantime, in between times, you go to, you go to jail, you get billed probably in a couple of months. Your family, your attorney are trying to work on your bond. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to look at so many things. You have to consider their rap sheet, if they've ever been arrested before. You know, what were they doing? Are they working while all of this stuff is going on, mm-hmm. right? And so because I always tell people there are a lot of moving parts that we have to consider. Now we'll still stay with this uh, robbery, and we'll just keep it simple. And so with a simple robbery, <clears throat> what's that, zero to seven, mm-hmm. um, every time they come to court, that's an opportunity to be heard, especially if you're innocent, right? Uh, at arraignment, the, the person is going to be talking to you. The client is going to be talking to their attorney. The attorney is going to be talking to the judge. Mm-hmm. The attorney is going to be talking to the DA. And and, and it just works itself out. That I'm not going to say that everyone who stays in jail years and years are guilty, but what I, but most of the time those cases are murder cases. You know, uh, it's, it's not no, normally people don't stay in jail long periods of time. But I will tell you this: uh, a day in jail is it's too long. long, especially for someone who's innocent. You know, and so I do understand that. But uh, most of the time, you still have to look at how things are working. And the biggest part right here is, and especially with this scenario, is the attorney. Mm-hmm. You know, making sure that you have someone who's on your side, who's actually fighting for you and trying to get you out. The 19th Judicial District uh, at this point is majority black judges. Uh, As someone who's had experience with the 19th JDC for a long period of time, have you seen an appreciable difference in how things are handled now that the judges are majority black as opposed to what it was previously? Has there been improvement? I guess that's a, that, that's a good way of, of asking that question. I do, I do believe that there, that there uh, has been improvement. Um, 
I will say, too, that East Baton Rouge Parish is majority black. Yes. And so that's very representative, uh, just as with the chief of public defender, um, they would prefer that person be black. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have ways to go with all the positions, but um, I, I have seen things get better. Uh, people aren't so afraid to go to court anymore. You know, we did have some um, judges of different races. I'll put it like that. Yes. <laughs> Of different races who thinks that people who thought that people just deserve to be in jail mm-hmm. and you know if we you know are being truly transparent uh, and frank 80 85 percent of the people who go to court are black yes and 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 80 percent of them are black males so just like you say they're being taken away from their homes and who better to understand that than someone who looks like you mm-hmm. who is, who's sitting on the bench? Mm-hmm. And so, and now you're not afraid, and I tell people all the time that we have to understand the court system and what's going on and so that you can speak freely and be able to help your attorney to help you. But if there's so much distrust, then, you know, there's a barrier there. Mm-hmm. Now that we have judges who look like us, I think that you can kind of relax a little bit but you still have to maintain that, that business and respect for the court. In national news these days, a lot of talk is about conservative judges versus liberal judges, who appointed the judge, which president, administration did the judge come into uh, power under uh, uh, with the things that are happening with Mr. Trump these days, uh, that, that, that's one of the questions that comes up a lot, conservative judges versus liberal judges. On the district judge level, mm-hmm. is that a real consideration, conservative versus liberal judges? It's a, it, it is. Um, we have some very conservative districts, mm-hmm. which I'm saying that to say that's predominantly white. Okay. Um, that that like I told like I said earlier um, that operate out of fear so that is and I'm not saying all of our white judges do this mm-hmm. you know people are fair I understand um, but but again it's still a conservative district just the same as on the city council conservative districts mm-hmm. and they believe that things should be done one way if you get in trouble you go to jail and you stay in jail mm-hmm. now is that fair no because we just talked about and discussed that I may not be. I might be innocent. Mm-hmm. So should should that be the case for everyone? Again, case by case. No, it should not. Um, but that's why I say yes. We do have some conservative judges, and um, some liberal judges. Um, we have a couple of uh, in the in the middle, black moderates. judges, moderates. Okay. Uh, in in on the bench right now too, mm-hmm. but um, I, I think it's starting to even out. Would you care to characterize yourself, uh, assuming that you win this election? Uh, would you be conservative, liberal, moderate, progressive? Nobody likes the word liberal anymore. Progressive, uh, moderate. Uh, if you were to characterize yourself. If I were to keep the, the so if we say, hey, let's go with the first thought that comes to your mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The first thought that comes to my mind is more moderate. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the first thought. Just simply because I've been doing this for so long, mm-hmm. 
And, you know, it would be different if I didn't know anything, right? Never never did criminal trials, never had, a, you know, one-on-one communications like that. However, because of my experience um, and the knowledge and understanding, I can say I think that moderate is good, you know, because, again, and I keep saying this, it's a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, you do have to pay attention because what our job is— um, just like uh, any other position that has to deal with the public, we're here to protect the public. We're here, and you're elected to do what your constituents want you to do. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, because I've been out campaigning, what I've been hearing from my constituents is that there's some fear. There's a lot of fear. We do want people who to come back into the um, community, do re-entry programs, and have a second chance. Mm-hmm. And and so it, with that being said, that makes you a moderate because I have to protect the public from um, violent offenders. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have to understand that people really are because that's the purpose of jail or prison to rehabilitate. Mm-hmm. So people really are going to jail and being rehabilitated and you have to give them opportunity too. As a judge, uh do you are you assigned certain kinds of cases are for the seat that you're running would you be primarily criminal would you be civil or or is it that you get to see both both you get to see both yes um when it comes to civil matters uh this is primarily having to do with contracts Back to that boring stuff that you know, <laughs> that, that you're not crazy about. Uh, tell me how a person can best protect themselves against civil litigation uh, as they try to conduct business in this climate. Louisiana is known, Baton Rouge is known as a very litigious community. Uh, people will sue you at the drop of a hat. So I I guess the question I'm trying to get to is, is there a way that you can protect yourself against that kind of uh, litigious environment uh, in in the crafting of the contracts that you enter into? So the first thing that I suggest is research, 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 right? And and the reason why I say it that way is because you're going to research the industry that you're trying to get into, and mm-hmm. most of this is commercial. The research, the uh, industry that you're trying to get into, and who's the best lawyers in that industry um, for the type of job or profession that you have. Uh, and then the next thing is looking at the financial side of it, uh, making sure that you have a good business manager who's going to tell you how to set up your practice or set up your business that's going to benefit you mm-hmm. and protect you. Uh, a lot of times we have the, you know, I'm not saying a small mom and pop organization can't afford it, but you can't afford not to do it. And so if you go into something with the proper understanding and advisement, then you can better set yourself up to to, to ward off all of the uh, litigants that might come against you. I was having a conversation a couple of weeks ago with retired judge Curtis Cowboy, uh, and I was telling him that I I had just finished interviewing uh, 
someone else who's a candidate for judge in a different district mm -hmm. and that I was going to be interviewing you at some point in the future and uh, perhaps others as we go through this election process. And he made mention of the fact that uh, for him, the biggest concern about candidates for judge is experience. That there are many people, he did not call a name, but there are many people who are running for judge mm -hmm. who don't necessarily have the experience, the trial experience right. uh, of uh, carrying a trial from beginning to end, uh, that, that that experience is lacking. Would you agree with that assessment, disagree? What, what, what's your opinion about that? Well, um, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And because it's one of those things of um, you could see the job being done. You could be in the area of the job being done. Mm -hmm. But until you actually do the job, can you do it? And so as an attorney, um, I'm in court every day. Um, and having hearings, talking to defendants, uh, talking to the DA, talking with the judge. And so you get an understanding from every one of those positions what what is really going on, mm -hmm. right, and how you're going to work this out, almost like a mediator. And so once you get an understanding of that, then you can move forward. But if you've never done that, then as a judge, how can you actually help the situation you know how do you move things forward if you don't know or don't understand what it takes to even make it move or to make it go and like i said earlier there's always a lot of moving parts here mm -hmm. and if you don't understand if you only understand one part of it come to court or be in the courtroom mm -hmm. then what about talking to defendants um how about as a judge i've seen judges that i that um that i admire they say, hey, this is the offer. These are the facts. We've had hearings on them. I'm going to tell you this is what I'm going to do. If you don't have that knowledge, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. You just have to wait and see and then go do some research. Mm -hmm. But because I've been in the courtroom for over 20 years and I've had the opportunity to have hearings, to have trials, to be in sentencings, to have hear victim impact statements. All of that matters and all of that comes together to make you a whole well-rounded judge. And so that's why I, I, I truly agree. And then the other part is you understand people's time and you also understand the pressure that they're under. Mm -hmm. we, we, we mentioned earlier that you spent six years in the Air Force. Uh, six plus years in the Air Force. How does your Air Force experience come into play uh, in your current life as an attorney and will it come into play as you ascend to the bench? So I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But they do have people out there and say, okay, Lynn, did that. this is not the military. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But I just think that, you know, in the military, you learn discipline early. Mm -hmm. uh, the first week, you learn uh, discipline, timeliness, and people's, um, you know, uh, perspective on things that you have to hear. And I believe that that's the main thing that the Air Force has taught me or taught me, that you have to be disciplined. You have to take people's time not for granted, 
but make it make it a priority for you mm-hmm. so that you can move things forward and that's why I believe that in coming on the bench knowing everything already then we won't have these slow dockets you won't have people sitting in jail for two and three years um, that's one of the things that I like right now about uh, Judge Gail Ray Judge Ray is saying hey these are the old matters that we had on the docket let's move them you know either the person's innocent or they're guilty mm-hmm. let them out um, and so, but but of course, through due process, everybody has a right to due process, a constitutional right. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that when with me being in the Air Force, it has it helped to make me more well-rounded in reference to learning at an early age that it takes a team. And although I might be the head of the team mm-hmm. as a judge, I still need the DA's office mm-hmm. to do their job. I need to, uh, to help me to do my job. I also need the, the defense be at the public defender's office or private counsel. I need them, those attorneys too, to help me to do my job. I need the deputies in the courtroom to help me to do my job. Mm-hmm. And we work together as a team. You came down from Monroe and settled in Baton Rouge. Do you ever go back to Monroe? Do you have family in Monroe? Help me to understand the biggest difference between North Louisiana and South Central Louisiana? I think that for me, the biggest difference is, of course, the, uh, the culture. But that culture is, uh, in North Louisiana, it's the, the difference, food and music. I believe that's the biggest difference, the, the art. And you said that without giving a preference. <laughs> Do you have a preference? Well, I'm allergic to, to seafood. Okay. And everything here is a lot of seafood. Yes. But I can always find something to eat wherever I go. Now, I will tell you, it's, it's crazy. I love, love um, the music here. Uh, and then uh, the west, I guess the west part of Louisiana, I would have never thought that I loved Zydeco. Mm-hmm. Love Zydeco. Okay. And so, but I heard none of that in, in Monroe. Uh, and then, you know, I love gumbo, chicken and sausage, though. So whenever my friends are cooking it, yeah. I just tell them, okay, so I know how to cook this. I know what you need to do. Yeah. So just take mine out first <laughs> before you put the seafood in. Gotcha. It's so delicious. Gotcha. You are a member of Mount Zion First Baptist Church. I am. Uh, so I would imagine that faith plays a large role in your life. Can you expound on how your faith uh, has led you up to this point in your life and led you in the decision-making process to pursue a judgeship? So in 2015, 16, 2016, um, I started doing my own Bible study with a friend. And then, you know, the more you study, which I don't have to tell you, but I will still say this mm-hmm. because I learned it on my own. I think that people need to hear this, uh, you know, just from somebody who's not a pastor. Um, I just think that you have to start reading the Bible for yourself mm-hmm. because I, you know, I've heard of you. I've seen you. We've spoken before, but I don't know you. Mm-hmm. But now if you give me a book to read about you or I get to talk to people who, who know things about you, now we can develop a relationship. And that's the same thing with God. Mm-hmm. So once I started developing this relationship with God, 
I was able to start depending not so much on my own self, but depending on what he says. And so at first, it came to me um, probably in 2019 that I was thinking about running for judge. And I I don't think at that time that was my time. And so I prayed about it. And and here we are again in March of 2023. And I prayed about it. And at this time, God said yes. And so, you know, uh, even though I know that we live in the New Testament, we still could look back at the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And and uh, we know David, who was a man of God's, you know, after God's heart. I recall that David, now of course, I don't know scripture, you do, but but I do like it, the fact that no matter what David was doing, he was asking God, do you want me to do this? Are you going to be with me? Mm-hmm. And will I be successful? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in, in every stage, you know, I, I've been talking to God and uh, and trying to hear what the Holy Spirit is telling me. And at this time, he's saying, move forward. Your two presumed opponents are also black women. Um, So it seems that however this turns out, uh, there will be a black female assuming this seat on the bench, replacing a black female who has been on the bench. Do you think that that continuity is important? I do. Not not just that they be black, but that they be black women. Um, I think that the—I will say that the, that the main thing is that you have someone who's experienced. You know, to me, that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when Judge White got on the bench— she had already been a judge. Mm-hmm. She was in city court dealing with matters, understanding matters, and had been practicing first. Um, and so then, when, so it wasn't too big of a leap for her to be uh, when she got on the district court bench. Mm-hmm. I call it the big boy seat, mm-hmm. right? And so I just think that you, no matter who it is, be it a man or a woman, you know, I appreciate definitely the, con- the continuity of being black. Mm-hmm. But to me, the most important thing is being black and experienced mm-hmm. so that if your if your position and role is to help your people who better to help my people than someone who looks like me right and that and i believe that that's the most important part about it one or two different questions and and, and then we're going to be done i really appreciate your time oh, yeah. uh louisiana has four law schools okay all four of them southern is the best <laughs> <laughs> No argument. My mother worked there for many, many years. Uh, uh, but, but, but there are four law schools, two in New Orleans, two in Baton Rouge, none in Alexandria or Monroe or Shreveport. Do you think that there is a shortage of law schools in this state? Do you think that this state could benefit from having uh, uh, law schools in the central and northern part of the state? Because it seems like everybody gravitates down here who wants to pursue law, and most of them stayed down here. They, they never, and, and you know, it's not a knock on them, but right. I, I would just imagine that if there was a law school in Shreveport, people would want to stay near their home. Right. Well, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, putting it like that, I think that, that that would be a good idea, you know. Um, but, but, but what I'll say is you have to look at, again, you know, why, why do you stay? What is your reason? Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
because you're not staying because of the law school, you're not staying because of that, because your ties to the law school are pretty much over except for financial contributions. Mm -hmm. And you can do that in Australia. Mm -hmm. That's what you wanted to do. Um, so, you know, I, I just look at, you know, why are people staying? And, um, you know, you have all of these law firms with their corporations here who make things attractive. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know about uh, Shreveport or Alexandria, what, aside from being a business-minded person, mm -hmm. what they have there, what kind of law firms they have there. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them are, are here. A lot of people, a lot of people around the state and in other states that are doing business here in um, in this part of Louisiana, New Orleans, uh, and Baton Rouge, the, all of our large law firms are here. Do you think that Louisiana is oversaturated with lawyers? No. I don't think so. And the reason why I say that is because we're not oversaturated. We might be oversaturated with people who hold bar roll numbers, but we're not oversaturated with good attorneys. Yeah, go, go, go back and, and elaborate on that. Bar roll numbers. What, right. What? That means that you passed the bar. Okay. That doesn't mean that you're a good attorney. Okay. And I tell people all the time, you know, you, you could be smart mm -hmm. and be a good test taker mm -hmm. but and, and, and get a bar roll number. But here's the question. Are you invested in your craft and continue wanting to learn your craft mm -hmm. so that when a person comes to you that you're able to help them? And I always say from the, from the time I started practicing with Ron— I never want to put a person in a worse position than what I found them. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I say oh, we do have a lot of people with borrow numbers, but we don't have a lot of great attorneys. Qualifying is this August month. 8th. August 8th. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's Tuesday. Tuesday. No, Wednesday. Wednesday. Mm -hmm. no. I said 888, August the 8th at 8 a.m. That's where I'll be. <laughs> and the election is in October. October 14th. Look and we're right trying to. Look that camera so, and, and tell the public why they should vote for you. Hello, I am Lynn Leger. You should vote for me as your next district court judge to replace retired Trudy White because I will be effective and I'm understanding. And I know what the bench needs to move forward and to help our community. I'm asking everyone to go out and vote on October 14th, but I'm also asking everyone to go out and vote early because on October 14th, that's Southern's homecoming, and it's also a large game for LSU. Early voting is from September 30th to September to October 7th, and I need your vote, and I'm asking for your vote and your support. Lynn Leger, thank you for taking the time to come and share with us today. Thank you. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time.